So can anybody here remember what it was like to be a kid? Can anybody remember what it was like to be a toddler or a, you know, under the age of six, maybe before you went to school, and some of the crazy things that we got up to as kids that if we did them now as adults would just seem completely nuts if we had to try and do those things. I, I have young kids myself, and I see things every day that I never thought I would see, and then I get reminded that when I was a kid, I did similar things and worse. Um, I'm a dad of three boys. Uh, having three young boys is definitely from what I hear, less drama than having three young girls, but it's harder to keep them alive. That's the problem. Um, I'm constantly praying for my three boys um, as they run around, and, and kids do crazy things. For example, um, I remember when I was younger coming into the kitchen and seeing my little brother sitting next to the dog bowl eating dog food. Anybody ever done that? Come on, when you were a kid, you're just eating dog food, just this is a great snack, it's right here on the floor, somebody left it out for me, um, I'm feeling a little bit hungry, and here we go, here's some food the Lord has provided, um, some food for me, or how many of you ever painted yourself, you found some paint, or, uh, or, or maybe it wasn't even paint, maybe it was bum cream, or whatever you could find, you know, and, and you painted yourself, you painted the walls, you painted your whole bedroom um, into a snowy white wonderland um, as a kid, many of us have done that, or drawn on furniture, my kids are great artists and they love to display their art in, on furniture and on walls and on bed sheets and on anything they can display it on, they, they, would, they would draw on. Um, in fact, this last week, my, my boy Leo, um, he got a yellow uh, marker, a yellow permanent marker, and um, the, the, the chair has kind of like a pattern on it, and he beautifully colored the pattern in uh, with the yellow marker. It was white, now it's yellow, um, and so he just put his, his, his mark on that. Um, or whenever you felt like it as a kid, whenever you felt like it, you could just strip down to your nappy and just strut around in public in your nappy. Nobody even bats an eyelid. It was all fantastic, and... Uh, and this is the kind of stuff that, that we did as kids. Um, but can you imagine if you were married, and let's say you got home, and your husband, um, grown man, sitting on the floor next to the dog bowl, picking up some dog pellets, throwing them into the back of his throat and saying, hey, honey, how was work? You know, can you imagine that? Or you come home and you find your husband sitting on the couch with a tin of cat food and a spoon watching the rugby. And, you'd be, you know, and he's like, how was your day? You know? Can you imagine seeing an adult actually doing some of the things that kids do. I think if, if that had to happen, most wives would be like, you just stay right there, I'm going to call for help, right? You would recognize that there was something wrong if adults did what children would normally do. Things that would be acceptable for children to do um, are not necessarily acceptable for adults to do. And if they did do that, people would be able to recognize that there's probably something wrong. That there might be something wrong with your thinking or something probably went wrong in your development at some stage, right? If you came home and your family, and like an adult family member was eating dog food, you would be worried. Am I right this morning? Come on, we would be. So, um, so we um, see this truth that um, we can clearly discern when things that fit with adulthood um, or, or that is acceptable within childhood is not acceptable and fitting for adulthood. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning as we go into uh, Hebrews, the end of Hebrews 5 and the beginning of Hebrews 6. We're doing a series at the moment called Consider Jesus and how the author of the book of Hebrews is asking us to consider Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, and to look to Jesus for many different reasons, and we've covered some of those in Hebrews 5, but this morning I want to share a message with you entitled, Consider Jesus so that you can grow up. Consider Jesus so you can grow up. 
Consider Jesus so that you can mature. Consider Jesus so that you can be complete. Consider Jesus so that you can begin to walk in all the things that God has ordained for us to walk in, in maturity as people that have faith in him. And at the end of Hebrews 5, um, from verse 11, which is where we're gonna pick it up. If you have your Bibles, you can open up from Hebrews 5 and verse 11, and we're gonna read from 11 to 14 in just a moment. But here at the end of Hebrews 5, the author pauses for a moment. He has shared a lot, and we'll look at some of that now in a moment, but he's already shared a lot, but now he pauses for a moment to address his audience on a few things. And as a pastor, I can tell you that I identify with him 100%. That there's so many things that he feels here and shares here frustrations that he experiences within the people that are believers and within the church that as a pastor, um, I wrestle with often on a weekly basis. And, 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 and he's already shown us, he's already told us that Jesus is greater than all. Here in the book of Hebrews, the author has already told us Jesus is greater. Jesus is, is, is better. Jesus offers us a better deal, that he is the founder of salvation, that the message he brought us is greater than any message that you have ever heard. And it wasn't just brought by an angel or a messenger or a prophet, it was brought by God himself in the flesh. There's a greater message and, and the message of Jesus and the gospel is greater than any religion. It's greater than any sacrifice. It's greater than any set of principles. It's greater than any program or process. It's a person and his grace and that Jesus himself is true rest for us. Because this is not a system that we work, it's a person we believe in. We rest from our works as God did from his, as it says in Hebrews 4. And we trust in the finished work of the cross. That's how we enter into his rest. And Jesus in that way became the perfect bridge. The perfect bridge bridging our need as sinners with God's supply as a savior, as sovereign. And so we have everything that we need in Jesus. He is the bridge. He is the mediator of a better covenant. And so all the way through the book of Hebrews, the author implores us again and again and again and again to please listen, to please listen to the message. He says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Do not shut yourself off. Do not close your mind to what the grace of God really is, to what it is that Jesus has done for you on the cross. Don't harden your heart. Listen, believe, trust in what Jesus has done for you. There is rest and there is supply and there is fullness and there is grace and there is salvation in all of it. And so this is what he has told us. He's told us, therefore, to consider Jesus who is the high priest of our confession, the, 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 the apostle and high priest of our confession. We put our faith in him. He was faithful on our behalf to him who appointed him and completed the work. And so he shares all of this and then he goes into Hebrews 5.11, which is where we're gonna pick it up today. And in Hebrews 5 verse 11, if you have your Bibles, you can follow with us. But in Hebrews 5 verse 11, it says about this, about what Jesus has done, about this finished work, about the grace of God, about Jesus being the high priest, as we discussed last week, the perfect bridge, the perfect mediator in the order of Melchizedek, an eternal, an eternal mediator, an eternal high priest. He says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he takes a little bit of a left turn here and, uh, and he wants to address some things. He's saying that even though we are talking so powerfully and, and so poignantly about what the gospel is and about what the message is, you've become dull of hearing. 
You know, some people have enough of Jesus to be inoculated against him. You know when you get inoculated against a flu or some sort of a sickness or some sort of a a disease, you go to the doctor and they inject a little bit of that flu or a little bit of that virus into your body so that your body would become resistant against it. And so when the full-blown thing arrived, you would have already built up a resistance to it. And many Christians are like that. They've heard enough of the message. They've been to enough church services. They've heard enough in Sunday school. They've seen enough of religion so that when somebody brings up the gospel or grace or Jesus, they simply say, I've heard that story. I've heard that message and I don't really need to listen anymore because I have heard it before. That puts you in exactly this category that Hebrews 5 talks about where you've become dull of hearing. You no longer allow the words of God and the truth of God and and the grace of God and the gospel of God to penetrate your heart because you've set yourself above that as already knowing it all. You see, as, as disciples, it means learner, it means student, and we never graduate from being disciples. We never move beyond being disciples in Christ. We always are learning. We're always submitted. We're always surrendered. We're always humbled before the cross. We're always humbled before his word. Because no matter how much we know or how great our theology may be, we don't know it all. We aren't walking in the fullness of it yet. And so it is a call to not be dull of hearing. He says, it's hard to explain these things to you since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God, the word of God. You need milk, not solid food, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food is for the mature. I wish I could give you some solid food, but you are still unskilled in the word of righteousness, and so all that you can take right now is milk. All that you can digest is milk because you're dull of hearing, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And so we're gonna look at that this morning and how he addresses this and how we can consider Jesus in order that we can grow. God's plan, he has a trajectory for us. He has, he has a, a plan for us. He has a purpose for us, and that purpose is for us to grow. That purpose is for us to, to increase. That purpose is for us to become closer to him, more dependent upon him, and walk in a deeper walk with him. Every single one of us, that's why we call it a journey. We're not static. This is not something you believe once and then stand still with. There's a journey for us all. So let's consider Jesus so we can grow. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning and then we'll get stuck into these scriptures. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness this morning, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we would not be dull of hearing in this moment, but that we would open up our hearts and God, that we would give ourselves to you and God, that we would apply our minds and and, and trust you as you speak to us by your spirit. We thank you, God, that this morning we can know that you are doing something on the inside of us that is causing us to move forward in our journey with you. No matter where we're at, Lord, we thank you that we get to move forward and to grow and become more like Jesus. So this morning, we thank you for that. We give you all of the glory and the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that there are so many Christians that are growing that are not growing up spiritually. They're not growing up spiritually. They might be coming to church all their lives. 
I've seen Christians like this. They've been to more church services than what you can imagine. Every time the doors open, they're inside and it's just become a part of their culture and it's a part of how they were raised and it's a part of what makes them feel comfortable in life. And so they are in church every time the doors open and they know all the songs and they, they, they know where to go and they know what to do, but they don't actually mature as Christians. They don't actually grow as Christians. They might be serving in teams, they might have joined a connect group, they might be attending all the courses, but they just don't grow up. They just seem to hop around the same issues, come back to the same point again and again and again and again. And what the author is saying here is that as weird as it would be to come home and find a grown person eating dog food, it's equally weird to have people be Christians for five or 10 or 20 or 30 years and yet still do the things that baby Christians do, still believe in the way that children would, and still get stuck in a way of, 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 of relating to God that is immature, that is not full, that is not complete. And he's, he's asking these people, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to start living the life that God has ordained for you to live? Because people, just like if you saw somebody here at church coming in and stripping down to his nappy or her nappy and then walking around, you would go, wow, that's weird, right? We don't, we don't wanna necessarily see that here at Anchor Church. But he's saying in the same way that it would be weird to see that people can actually see spiritual immaturity on you. It comes across in the way that we relate to God, the way that we speak about our lives, the way that we treat others. It comes across in the way that we respond, in, in, in the way that we handle crises, in the way that we, that we direct our words and our thinking and our emotions. It all comes across. And people can see it. And you can notice when something has gone wrong in a person's spiritual development. When something is blocking them from growing up. This happens in the natural. This happens in the natural when children suffer abuse or when something happens that blocks them and blocks certain neural pathways from developing, then they are in certain aspects always immature in a certain area because in that area they haven't been able to grow up. And a lot of people have allowed hurt that has happened in the church or misunderstanding that's happened in the church or offense that's happened in the church or, or, or whatever it might be. Sometimes it's just your own uh, preferences not being considered. And they allow that to keep them from growing up spiritually. And it's visible. People can see it. We can see it. Not acting as a grown man in Christ or a grown woman in Christ. So they say, and this is a, a clear hallmark of people that haven't yet grown up in Christ, they say that their faith is in Jesus, but they live as if he doesn't exist. When they face crisis, they wonder if he's even around. See, maturity understands that Jesus is around, that God is faithful, that you're secure in him, that, you're, that your identity and your security and your serenity is all in him. But the moment you are immature or when you remain immature, when crisis hits or difficult times come, you fall apart because you haven't grown in your faith. You haven't rooted, you haven't put your roots down. The Bible says that the righteous are like a tree planted by a stream. Their roots go in deep. They're established and rooted and grounded in his love. They will not be swayed and they'll bear fruit in every season. That's what maturity looks like. You're not thrown and tossed by, by, by the wind like waves of the sea. We're not people who doubt. We're solid and secure in our faith. So people who are immature say they have their faith in Jesus 
but they live so often as if he doesn't really exist. And that affects every area of your serving. It'll affect whether or not you get involved in church. It'll affect whether or not you reach out to others. It'll affect whether or not you contribute financially. It'll affect whether or not you give of yourself to what God has called you to do. Everything will come as a result of your growth in Christ. So in verse 13, it actually uses the word there. It says that you're, you still are like children um, that, that need milk. And when he uses the word child there, it, it's the word child or baby. But this is actually the Greek word, which is the word napios, the Greek word napios. And you might have guessed it already, but that is where we get our English word nappy from. So if you ever wondered why they called it a nappy, where the word nappy came from, it came from the Greek word napios, which means baby or babe or infant. And essentially what the author is saying is, I want to teach you more, but I can't seem to get you out of nappies. I want you to, I want you to walk in the fullness of what God has for your life, but you're still in nappies, and, I still need, and you still need to be looked after like one who is in nappies. Now, can we just imagine for a moment if our, spiritually mature, if our spiritual maturity was represented physically on the outside, right? Can you just imagine if we had Christians come into church with nappies on? Because they're still nappios, according to what the Hebrew writer is saying. Yeah, the writer of Hebrews. Can you imagine if people were coming here and your spiritual maturity level was, was, was still represented by whether or not you wore nappies? I wonder how many people would still have nappies on. I wonder how many people that have been in the church for decades would still be coming to church in a nappy. And just think about how awkward that would actually be. Now, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with being a baby in Christ. The scriptures are very clear that God adores, loves, cares for, and protects those that are new to the faith, those that are, that, that are young in their, in their faith and young in their walk with Jesus. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And he encourages you, if you are new to the faith, if you are a baby in the faith, that's okay. God has got growth for you, and that growth will come over time, and it will come as we drink. What does it take for a baby to grow? They need milk. They need nourishment. And that's why on a Sunday morning, I do my best to feed and to nourish and to give from the Word so that you can grow in it, grow up into everything that your salvation has given you. We see this in 1 Peter 2 verse 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. See, so you are completely saved the moment you put your faith in Jesus, but then you grow up into that salvation. It's like uh, when, you, when you buy clothes for your kids that's too big when they, when they initially put it on, but then over time they grow and they begin to fit the clothes that you have bought them. God has given you salvation. You've already put on Christ, like the putting on of new clothes, but over time you grow up into those clothes and you begin to walk in the fullness that your salvation secured for you, the fullness of what God did for you on the cross. You begin to walk it out and experience it in every area of your life, not just on a Sunday morning. So we are to grow. We are to crave pure spiritual milk. So nobody blames a baby for being a baby. We didn't have little Linnea up here this morning and then argue with her for being a baby, right? She is a baby because she's a baby. But we would say that there was something wrong if little Linnea wasn't growing, if she, if she wasn't getting bigger, if she wasn't learning, if she wasn't becoming smarter. We would say that there's something wrong. And so in the same way in our spiritual walk, if we're not growing, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. So nobody blames a baby for being a baby. God cares about those, 
that are infants in Christ and, and wants them to find nourishment, but only for a season. You can't be coming to church five, 10, 20 years later and still basically be worshiping like this. Now, I'm actually gonna do this and you're not gonna believe it. Just hold this for me, Will. Now, I hope you'll never forget this. You have no idea how awkward it was buying this yesterday. <laughs> but honestly, this is the visual representation of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that you're still coming to church after all of these years and after all of these decades, and you're still standing there every Sunday worshiping like this. And you're saying, it's all about me, about my goodness and my works. You know, you're st it's still all about you. That's the sign of an immature Christian. You're basically worshiping in nappies, in nappies, and the writer of Hebrews says, I'd like to give you some meat. I'd like to give you something solid. I'd like to give you something that's in the word, but you're still worshiping with nappies on, so all I can give you is, is milk. All I can give you, and I'm gonna take these off because I don't think anybody can take me seriously when I'm wearing these. How could you, but... But let it sink in for a moment. <laughs> Take a good long look. Do not post any of this on social media. <laughs> because this is how we worship. That's what we look like spiritually. We, what we do have is the ability to hide this. We can wear it under our clothes. We have the ability to, to hide it from people to a certain extent. And so we can come to church every Sunday and, and think that nobody will notice, but they do. And it is there and it is real and, and it is immaturity that affects your life. Thanks, Will, you can just hold that for me. <laughs> so that's the problem right there. The problem is, and, and, and I said those words specifically as I was worshiping, that it's all about me, about my, my goodness and my works. Because that there specifically is why you're not growing. That's the, the exact pinpoint of the problem is that you've become dull of hearing. You listen, but you don't hear. You haven't opened your heart and your mind to what the grace of God really is. In other words, what God did for you that you couldn't do for yourself, and because of what he has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself, the position that you have in him, the identity that you have in him, the authority that you have in him, the righteousness that you have in him, because you won't hear that message, that you are righteous, that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed, that you are called, that you are purposed, because you won't hear that message, you won't grow. You see, the grace of God, when you recognize that you don't have to wait, you don't have to earn, you don't have to achieve, but you can receive from Jesus, all of a sudden, you begin to stop making excuses or you stop making excuses and you begin to walk in the fullness of what God has for your life. And that produces growth. You give God access to your process. If we don't do that, if we stay dull of hearing, you will grow. Let me say this, you will grow, but you'll become a better actor or a better presenter uh, or pretender. And if you do it long enough, you might even be the best at it. You might be the person that walks around church that everybody looks and goes, oh, that's a solid Christian, or she, she's a prayer warrior, or she's, but if you're not giving your heart to the grace of God, 
allowing Jesus to work in you. It's just, it's just pretense. You're not really becoming like Jesus. We, we're here to be authentic. We're not here to pretend like we're something we're not. We are who we are, and God's busy with us, and we're gonna become the people that God has called us to be, but we don't want it to be some religious facade. We want it to be us truly becoming like Jesus because we're, he's at work within us. Amen? That's what we want. Colossians 2.19 speaks about what happens to the kinds of people that don't give their hearts to Jesus and to the gospel. It says, Colossians 2.19 they, they might seem religious, they might take their stand on visions they claim they've seen, they might pretend to be very religious, but it says not holding firmly to the head, that's their problem. They don't hold firmly to Jesus, the head, from whom all the body being supplied and knit together through the joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So you can grow with a growth in pretense and in acting and religiosity and piety and whatever other thing, human thing, but you won't grow with God kind of growth. Because God kind of growth only comes from fixing your eyes on Jesus, only comes from considering Jesus, only comes from beholding Jesus. The only way to grow with a God kind of growth is to hold fast to the head, to behold him, to become more acquainted with Jesus, to deepen your faith in Jesus and his finished work. This is not a second-hand kind of relationship. You don't have a relationship with God through the church or, or, or through somebody else or through your parents or through your culture or through your tradition or through your religion. You, as an individual, get to walk with Jesus himself as a person and experience his grace and learn and grow in him. All of us have that opportunity. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 11, verse 29. And he says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is what was used to, to bind two oxen together. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me, Jesus says. Walk with me. Follow me. Walk with me. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, in all of our being as Christians, we are called to be equally yoked together with Christ. And I want to show you an image of this. Um, what it looks like to be yoked with Jesus. And it comes from an ancient uh, kind of farming principle and practice that we don't really know living in the city in, in our day and age. But what, was, what would be done is that they would take an older ox that knows the way, that knows how to walk, that knows how to plow, that knows the path to walk. And what they would do as farmers is that they would take a younger ox that doesn't know the way, that wants to run off in his own direction, that wants to do his own thing, that's burdened by his own ambitions, and they would take these two oxen and they would yoke them together. And as the younger bull constantly wants to run off, the older oxen keeps him online. The older oxen keeps him going in the right way. And what Jesus says is that I want you to be yoked together with me like that, not you on your own trying to figure out your own life, but connected to me walking with me. And whenever our own sins and our own passions and our own desires and our own, our own selfishness wants to pull us off into some burdened uh, path, the grace of God keeps us going in the right direction. And it says his burden is light, his yoke is easy to bear. This is rest for your souls. We don't, we, the older ox is doing the heavy lifting, he's doing the pulling, we just walk with him. And we learn with him, that's what maturity looks like. It looks like us being connected to Jesus so vitally. Now, let's be sure that this is a human, earthly example that is imperfect in displaying the glory of what it is that for us to be able to walk with Jesus. Don't get caught up on that example. But the principle is that to be mature, you need to consider Jesus as vital to your everyday life. And as you walk together with him, you begin to grow. He teaches you his ways 
and you begin to find that you are practicing rest, that you are practicing faith, that you are practicing discernment and obedience. Hebrews 5.14 says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Like we wanna grow as Christians, A lot of us hardly even read our Bibles. A lot of us hardly even submit ourselves at the foot of the cross. A lot of us hardly even give attention to our faith or challenge our flesh in discerning what, what is right. And, and that means that we're not applying the gospel to our hearts. We're not allowing that gospel to have an impact on us. You see, you are already saved. This is the message, the great message, that what Jesus did for you on the cross, he did once and for all. You're already saved. You're already made righteous. You are the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. It is who you are. But are you growing up in your salvation? And are you being trained in your righteousness? You see, it says this in, in, in the book of Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all of scripture is breathed out by God. It's God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Please notice that it says we, trained, we are trained in righteousness, not for righteousness. We are already righteous, but we learn how to walk in it. That would be the same as me giving you a sword. You already have the sword, but now you get trained in how to use the sword that you already have. And so Christian maturity isn't about attaining something, it's about walking in and growing into what has already been given to us. And I wanna be very clear this morning that that does not mean moving away from grace. What a lot of Christians do is they think, well, grace was to save me back then because back then I was bad, but now I should not need God's grace anymore. In other words, as if you would somehow become independent from the need for God's grace or from the life of Jesus within you. No, Christian maturity, this is where it looks different from human maturity. In the human realm, we become more independent the older that we get and the more we mature. But within the spiritual realm and with Jesus, the more we mature, the more dependent we become. The more we recognize our need. It's children that think they can, that they can do whatever they want and, and jump off of buildings and not get hurt or, or, or do whatever. But it is, it, it is mature people who understand that we need help. So the more mature you become in Christ, the more you'll say, I'm sorry, the more you'll say, I need help, and the more you will, you will be able to not take yourself so seriously. That's what happens when you take Jesus seriously, but not yourself. So it doesn't mean moving away from grace, it means moving deeper into grace, not becoming more independent as in the natural, but more dependent upon Jesus where you find your full satisfaction and worth and security and identity in him. We are called to remain childlike in our faith, but not childish in our walk. Childlike in our faith, but not childish in our walk. And this is why we are to consider Jesus. This is why we are to behold him. This is why we are to trust him. This is why we are to be yoked with him, to walk with him so that we can grow. On Saturday afternoons, I love playing uh, cricket and, and rugby with my boys. Um, they're, they're very young, but you know, we have to start their springbok training early. Um, 
So, so I would, I would, you know, I've been teaching them how to pass a rugby ball. I bought a size three rugby ball the other day, and I was passing it to them in the garden, and I, I actually got them, so I've got like a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a four-year-old, and I actually got them to stand in a line, and then, you know, I say, you, you, you step with this foot, and then you pass the ball, and so catch, step, pass, catch, step, pass, and I'm like, getting a backline going in my backyard, um, which is really awesome. And then I want to move on now. You know, I try to teach Eli a switch pass. I'm like, you run towards that flower pot over there. I'm going to run over there. I'm going to pop it on this side, and then you're going to just catch it on this side, and you can go score the try. They won't even see it coming. And, uh, and so I'm trying to teach them this, and I try to teach them about cricket and, and how to bowl a spin ball and how to play a cover drive. But here's the thing. Before I can get there, I need to teach them the basics. Before I get there, I, I need to teach them how to just hold a rugby ball or how to hold a cricket bat or, or how, to, how to find middle stump. I need, to, I need to teach them those things, which is okay for now. You do need to start with a foundation, with the basics, and the groundwork is so important, but I'm looking forward to be able to move beyond that, to be able to get into the finer details and, and to see them develop their skills and become mature sportsmen, if I can put it that way. And the author of Hebrews feels the same way. He's like, I wish I could move on to the deeper aspects of God's grace and how it affects your life and how God wants to work through you, a more complete picture of the gospel. But I need to keep coming back to the basics because you just, you're not grasping them. You're not grasping the basics that we preach week in and week out. You're, you're still dull of hearing. You're not allowing it to sink in. You're struggling with that. He goes into Hebrews 6 verse 1 to 3 and he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's move on from these basic things. Listen to what he mentions as basic here. First of all, dead works. You can't be saved by your works, only by faith in Jesus. How many more times do we have to teach people that? How many more times do we have to say it before you're gonna believe that it's not your goodness that gets you saved, it's what Jesus did for you on the cross? How many more times are we gonna to have to say it before you can truly walk in the righteousness that God has given you rather than trying to earn or achieve salvation from God? How many more times? You, you can't be saved by your works. You need faith in God. Instruction about baptisms. I have no idea why people find it so hard to surrender to a direct commandment from Jesus that we are to be baptized. And if we preach the gospel, all those who believe must be baptized. You get in the water, you proclaim your faith, you get baptized, you come up, it's over. But for some people, it's like the bane of their existence that there exists such a command from Christ. And we have to, every time a baptism comes around, like today, we almost have to drag it out of people. Get baptized, why? Not because we feel like jumping in the water, but because Jesus has called us to do that. This is an elementary principle and we shouldn't be having to say it to you over and over and over again. Just get baptized. Just do what Christ has called. Let's leave behind the instructions about baptisms and the laying on of hands. Some people are still like, I don't know about praying. Are you gonna pray? Are you gonna lay hands on me and the whole thing? We understand that the scripture says that if anybody is sick, the elders will lay their hands on them and they will be healed. The prayer through the laying on of hands, through that touch and resurrection from the dead, the fact that there is an afterlife and that there is a judgment and that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and that there, and there, there will be judgment for sin if we don't put our faith in Jesus. These are elementary principles, church. Let's move on from them so that we can get into the deeper principles of grace. This is spiritual milk, but we wanna be wrestling with some of the meat. We wanna be chewing on the meat 
And so we shouldn't have to be teaching the same people. Now, we'll teach it often because there's new people every week, but we shouldn't be having to teach the same things to the same people again and again and again because it's like, I wanna give you meat, but you're still only able to digest milk. We should be able to move on. So let's listen. Why, why aren't you growing? Why are you struggling? Because you're not just listening to what the word of God says. And then he moves into this hard-hitting passage, and I've, I've got two passages, two pieces that I just wanna read to you, and then we'll close this morning. But he says in, in, in verse four, he says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have then fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God in their own, in their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful uh, to those for whose sake it was cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. And that's a hard-hitting, heavy scripture and a lot of people don't know what to do with it. And so the only reason I'm mentioning it this morning is to help you understand what it says. So that in case you're reading through Hebrews and you're like, wait a minute, this is in there and Adrian didn't speak to me about that. So what is that all about? Essentially, let me summarize it for you um, in very simple terms by saying this. The author of Hebrews is saying here that some people never truly open their hearts to the gospel or admit their need for a savior. They might come to church, they might be religious, but they don't truly open up their hearts. And so they experience the truth, they taste of the presence of the Holy Spirit and of God's word, but in not surrendering their heart through faith to Jesus, even though they may be religious for a while, they'll become disillusioned sooner or later and walk away. So it's not talking about people who are saved who then fall away necessarily. Because what it says is it says that the rain falls, God's blessing falls on your life, the word falls, the refreshing falls. But rather than producing a harvest of righteousness through your life, all that comes up is thorns and thistles. It's a rejection of grace. You're hearing the word and you're acting religious, but you're not receiving the rain and producing a harvest of righteousness. And so in rejecting God's grace, what you do is you hold what Jesus did for you on the cross in contempt. You're saying, it's not for me. And by doing that, you're like the Romans that nailed Jesus to the cross. You're crucifying him again by rejecting what he did for you. So true faith would lead to true repentance and true repentance is evidenced by a harvest of righteousness that leads to righteous actions. So righteous actions don't make you righteous, but when you're righteous, you'll act righteously. Does it make sense? Martin Luther put it this way. He said, we are saved by faith alone, only by Jesus, not by works but the faith that saves is never alone. There'll be a harvest in your life. There'll be maturity. There will be action. And so he continues, and I'm closing on this this morning. He says, though we speak in this way, okay, rebuke over, everybody, because I know, if you come to Anchor, this is a heavy-hitting message this morning, and this is not what I preach every Sunday, right? I'm just being faithful to the text. So bear with me this morning. I'm actually a nice guy. He goes, rebuke over, he says, though we speak in this way, I had to get serious there with you for a moment, church, because I want you to grow up. I want you to stop coming to church in diapers. But he says, though we speak in, in, in this way, though in your case, 
Beloved, we feel sure of better things. We feel sure that you're not going to be like that. We feel sure that you are not gonna be immature and stuck in a rut and not opening up your heart to God's grace, but instead that you would be sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, things that will come from having true faith in Jesus. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You see, there's the maturity. When you mature, you'll work, you'll serve, you'll give. We are sure that, that, that God won't overlook these things. And we desire each one of you to sh show the same earnestness. You'll be earnest if you have faith in Jesus about serving and giving and being a part of, of what God is doing in this city. You are showing the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, we often think that through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. I have a promise, God's gonna do this in my life, so I'm just gonna be faithful and I'm gonna be patient. But what it's actually talking about is maturity. It's saying that there are those that in the past, in the scriptures, were heroes of the faith because they remained faithful even when their emotions were fighting against them like a child. Even when they were immature and they didn't understand, they remained faithful and they remained patient. And so inheriting the promises isn't just about getting things from God, it's about becoming who God has ordained you to be. Inheriting the promises means that God has got a fullness of salvation for your life, a fullness, a completeness, a maturity, a depth of a walk with him. And if we stay faithful and we stay patient, we will have that depth. We will have that maturity. We will have that fullness in Christ. So let's not be sluggish. Let's keep working to show that we truly are saved. Let's keep giving, let's keep serving to show that we truly have Jesus in our hearts and we are not sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience became who God intended for them to be. These are the things that belong to salvation and they are already yours. God wants your life to be a witness, to be a testimony of his grace. Let's not be sluggish but imitators who inherited the promises. To have the fullness of what Jesus has made available by not staying in nappies, being focused on self, but by growing up. By growing up in him, persevering and staying faithful so that we might see the fullness of God's promises blossom and expand and have their full effect in our lives and through our lives. This morning, I wanna encourage you, rather than making your Christianity all about you, won't you consider Jesus so that you too can grow up in your faith, so that you too can inherit the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. Consider Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on him, behold him daily, walk with him so that you can become who God has ordained you to be. And let us leave behind the elementary things and the weight that so easily ensnares us, the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us. And let's move on. How many of you are ready to move on, church? Come on, I know that this was a, a heavy-hitting message this morning. I'm just preaching the Bible. I'm just telling you what the writer of Hebrews says. But this is joy. It means we get to move beyond and be everything that God has ordained us to be. And I believe that for our church. I believe that we are gonna be mature and we're gonna show it through our love, through our serving, through our sacrifice, through the things that we do, not to become righteous, 
but because we already are righteous. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.